May the words of my mouth and meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. In this morning's epistle reading, we begin a three-week stretch into what is arguably one of the greatest gospel chapters in the entire Bible, Romans chapter 8. It contains some of the most familiar and best-loved verses in the New Testament that weren't said by Jesus himself. It opens with the great assurance, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It goes on to say, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And it closes with the great crescendo in all these things. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life and a whole other comparisons all the way along and then concluding nor anything else that is in Christ in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is how most Christians come to know Romans chapter 8 through these famous and very comforting verses, and rightly so. But there's even more that we can find here when we begin to explore this beautiful chapter. For example, there are more references to the Holy Spirit in Romans 8 than in any other chapter in the Bible. And so we will be spending some time in Romans 8 today and over the next couple of Saturdays, three straight weeks with the epistle reading coming from this chapter. Besides that, we had the first part of the chapter, Romans 8, 1 to 11, as a signed reading back in April. So today we pick it up again with verses 12 to 17. Next week, verses 18 to 27, and the week after, 28 to 39. And so I encourage you throughout the next few weeks to read through Romans chapter 8 and to meditate on it yourselves several times over if you can. I'm sure it'll be a blessing to you as we dig into it here as well. Now, as I was saying, there's quite an emphasis on the role of the Holy Spirit running through Romans chapter 8. And our text today is no exception. And so our theme this morning centers on what it means for our lives that you and I have received the spirit of adoption as sons. That's what St. Paul says has happened to us. We who have become Christians. He writes, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Now, before we go any further, let me make it clear. When the Bible says that we are sons of God, this by no means is discriminating against women. No, all Christians are included in the status of sons, even the daughters. Paul explains this a bit in Galatians 3. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For, ever, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. This is referring to our spiritual reality as baptized children of God. So ladies, you are sons too. And that's a good thing. The designation as sons applies to all of us Christians, male or female, because sons are the ones who inherit. But we'll come back to that later. Now, how did this sonship come about? Well, it didn't happen naturally. No, according to our flesh, we were not sons. 
we were slaves. We did not have the access or standing that sons have. Instead, we were outside of the family of God. We were stuck as slaves, slaves to sin, stuck in fear, the fear of death. That's who we were according to the flesh. That is, according to our fallen, sinful human nature. But something happened. Something happened to change our status from slaves to sons. We have been brought into the family. We have been made sons. You didn't volunteer for this new standing. You didn't earn it by working really hard as a slave to sin. No, that would be ridiculous. You didn't do anything to make yourself a son. No, rather, God acted. It is God's doing, his decision that has made you his sons. God adopted you. You don't adopt him. God makes the decisive mood, and he changes your status entirely. He makes you and I, all of us, as his sons. Declares it to be so, brings us into his family, and gives us this whole new standing, a whole new identity. We become God's sons because God's one and only son, our Lord Jesus Christ, he has removed the barrier of our sins by his death on the cross. Christ has redeemed us, set us free from our slavery to sin and death. From fear to forgiveness, our Lord Jesus has brought us slaves out of our bondage from death to life. Christ leads the way by his resurrection from the dead. From slaves to sons, this is what God has done for us through his Son, our Savior. Our standing as sons happens. It's brought into being when we are joined to Jesus. Again, this is God's doing, not ours. In holy baptism, we are joined to Jesus. And by being connected to God's own Son, by faith and baptism, we too become God's sons. Our status is changed through Christ. We gain access to God's household. We share in all the benefits that Christ has won for us. We now have the great privilege of calling on God as our Father. And what's more, God has given us the great gift of the Holy Spirit to lead and guide us and to testify to our spirits that we are indeed God's sons, his children. And that's what St. Paul's telling us here today in Romans 8. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. These two terms, sons and children, can be used really interchangeably. But Paul also uses each term for its own special emphasis. Sons emphasizes our, our standing, our status, our legal status, you could say, the rights and privileges we have as sons, as inheritors of the kingdom. The term children emphasizes our relationship to the Father, that we have a new nature, that we share in his character, that we can call on him as dear children call on their dear father. In other words, the warm intimacy that children have with their father. 
And so Paul even uses the more intimate form of address that children in his culture would use to call their fathers, Abba. There are two different schools of thought, of course, on the word Abba. There's the one hand, those who claim that it's a, the term is the Aramaic, in the Aramaic language, that would be a sort of equivalent to our daddy or papa. On the other, well, they don't think it's quite that informal. Instead, they state that it's only a little less formal, a little more familiar alternative to the prim and proper address of father, uh, kind of like dad. So whatever translations use, whichever translation, whichever, whether papa or dad, it's all still what little children would call their father, that outsiders wouldn't. Abba, father, dad. We have that kind of intimacy, that kind of relationship with God who created the heavens and the earth. What a great thing to know God in this way, to know that we can come to him like this, no longer as outsiders. We don't have to worry that God doesn't care about us in our trials and difficulties. No, God does care about you very deeply. He gave his son to die for you. He gives you the spirit so that now you know you are God's child. When you're suffering, when you're hurting, call out to him as children call on their father. Abba, father. God has given us the spirit of adoption as sons. This changes the, the way we live now too. Since we have received the spirit, now we are led by the spirit. And the Spirit will lead us in ways that are pleasing to our Heavenly Father. There are real changes in the manner of life that we lead, in the decisions that we make, in what we do and think and say. This is how the Spirit leads us. That now we live as sons who want to do their Father's will. To do otherwise is to go against the Spirit's leading, and, well, that's really dangerous. In fact, it's a matter of life and death. St. Paul writes, So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Now, did you catch that bit? If you live according to the flesh, you will die. If you put to death the desires of the sinful flesh, that are playing out in the deeds of the body, you will live. But to put it more briefly, if you live, you will die. If you die, you will live. It's like Jesus himself. Well, it is like what Jesus himself said. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Now, as we heard last week and read elsewhere in the letters of St. Paul, that death, comes in the form of drowning in the waters of holy baptism. The old Adam in us is drowned and dies, and from it a new creation emerges. A new son of God comes out of those blessed waters and begins a new life. A life that is lived not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. And this is something we need to do every day. Not the being baptized part, but the drowning the flesh part, and emerging to live a new life by the spirit part. That's why Luther writes in the small catechism, we should by daily contrition and repentance be drowned and die, and daily a new person emerge. 
That's what it means to be baptized. That's what it means to be a son of God. And what is this living according to the flesh that you need to die to? What are those sinful deeds of the body that you need to put to death on a regular basis? Well, this new life in the Spirit is calling you to regular repentance, to repent of the sin you commit regularly in your life. Now, I could rattle off a list, but then I'm sure I'd miss a few, and I wouldn't catch everyone in front of me. But you know better than I which sins have a hold on you, which ones you commit regularly, even though you know full well that they're contrary to the way God wants you to live and to be living your life. And he calls you to turn from them with the Spirit's help. And the Spirit is leading you to life as God's child, as a son who wants to please his Father. The Spirit leads you in the way of righteousness all your baptized life. He leads you here to your Father's house where you confess your sins because you know what? You can't do it perfectly. Even with the Spirit's help, you fail and you fall as we talked about last week. And so he leads you back to God's house regularly to receive that free gift of forgiveness. And here you also receive that strengthening of faith that the Spirit stokes in you. The faith that was lit in the waters of holy baptism. The same faith that helps you to struggle against your sinful nature. The faith through which God has made you his through the justifying work of his Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. God has given us the spirit of adoption as sons. This changes the way we live now. It also changes the way we live and we will live forever. And that's because the son shares in the inheritance. Now, the thing about an inheritance is that you don't cash it in right away. You have to wait for it, often for many years. But the inheritance is yours. There's no question about it. You can count on it. You've got the legal standing as sons, remember. And that's how it is for us as sons of God. We are heirs according according to his promise, awaiting our full inheritance. As St. Paul writes, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Right now we wait. And while our time of waiting will involve suffering, both suffering from external sources and suffering from internal ones as we continue to struggle with our sin until that day he calls us home, we know that it comes with the territory as followers of Christ. He warned us of that himself. We know that because God has adopted us as sons and connected us to Christ, and so that makes us sons in line for the inheritance. We are heirs. We are joint heirs, co-heirs with Christ. What Christ came into, we also will come into. Christ was raised from the dead. We too will be raised from the dead. Christ lives forever at the right hand of the Father. We too will join him living forever in eternal glory with the Father. This is your inheritance, my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. This is a sure thing. You have it. All that and more, you have it to look forward to. 
We'll be talking about that inheritance to come much more in the next week as we continue through Romans 8, actually. But for now, take comfort in knowing that you are the sons of God, his dear children. You have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs. This new status that we have as sons changes the way we live now. We know we have a Heavenly Father who cares for us, and we want to please Him. And our status as sons changes our eternal future as well, which gives us great hope even now, especially in times of suffering. God the Father has changed our status from slaves to sons through His Son, Jesus Christ. And He has given us the Spirit so that we would know this new reality and so that the Spirit now will lead us through this life into the eternal life to come. Amen. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen.